Another one of those world and sports productions is back to attack the whack that would insist in the fact that my podcast ain't all that. A notion or a narrative based on the imperative that you don't listen to the most entertaining sports talk podcast around giving verbal sounds and thoughts about the everyday of sports and other issues it surrounds and the love of my life, the basketball program on O Street at the University of Georgetown. Motivated by the deeds of the legend, trailblazer, and icon basketball coach, the Hoyas John Thompson, I'm stomping out the nonsensical and absurd as my spoken word concerning the current sports topics are layered in strength and beliefs to give the unprepared and non-talented so much heartache and so much grief. So they must cease and stop because in this competition, you can't and have no chance to supplant the podcast that scores more than Kevin Durant. I terminate the haters like I was Magic Johnson in the Showtime LA Lakers. Koopa loop the dupes and dopes without any chance for hope to cope with this podcasting superstar. I'll be big game James Worthy to treat you like you were Robert Parrish. And I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, making strides and improvements in my craft like I was Jalen Hurts, making your idea to go against me the worst. So don't rehearse a podcast thinking that you can come in first. Any verbal fight, I'll be as tough as Ty Domi with more ways to score than Andrew Tony. So if you know me, you better show me the respect I deserve before your ass gets served. So swerve in another direction and take your tag team partner, Keith Lee, with you. Because if you don't let it be, I'll see that your beatdown won't be an issue. So vicious and malicious when you leave the premises full of blemishes. No one in the podcasting world is going to miss you. So whether it's opinions about the Major League Baseball playoffs, the NBA season, Brett Favre's crime and betrayal that you land him in jail, going up against me in the words of Ric Flair, QB, V-Man. You've got to beat the man. Wendell's World in Sports. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, and anyhow. You listen to your favorite Fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. 
Special dedication for those who are listening in Las Vegas, Nevada. Special dedication for those who are listening in India. Special dedication for those who are listening in Oklahoma. Special dedication for those who are listening in Australia. Special dedication for those who are listening in Los Angeles, California. Special dedication for those who are listening to this show in Vancouver, in Toronto. Special dedication for those who are listening to this show in Pakistan, in Dubai, all over the world. Thank you so much for listening to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. Wonder Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I begin, as always, I want to ask you, how are you doing? What is happening? K Pasa, Shalom, Wassalam Alaikum, Konishiwa, Bonjour, Bonsoir, Good Morning, Good Abend, man. I hope you're doing everything that you need to do to make your world, to make your community, to make your space, to make your place a better place to be. Loving, laughing, enjoying, learning, listening, respecting those who deserve the admiration, who deserve the respect, who deserve your ear, who deserves to be listening to your knowledge and in return you receiving or uh, yes, receiving that knowledge from them. Man, I hope you're doing everything that you need to do to make this world a better place to be. A lot of things to go ahead and discuss today in the world of sports, but as always, anywhere where you are listening to this podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Need for you to do this, as I always ask, as I always request, if you could download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Man, I would like that so much. I would very much enjoy it. Thank you so much, Wendell's World in Sports. Hey, before we get into what's happening in the NBA, before we get into the playoffs, because that's going to be the majority of the takes today, in between, sandwiched in between what's going on with the Milwaukee Bucks, what's happening with the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers, before we get into the Game 1 performance by James Harden and Philadelphia's surprising game one victory over the sleepwalking Boston Celtics before we talk about the trouble that the Phoenix Suns are in if they go down 2-0 against the um, Denver Nuggets before we get into the Miami Heat um, winning game one in a competitive game two without Jimmy Butler before we do all this and I'm recording this episode Tuesday night as I'm watching the Lakers and the uh, Warriors play. So before we get into all that, I want to talk about some football. And it's going to be interesting, man, because, you know, with me speaking about what's happening in the world of sports, when I get done talking about Lamar Jackson and then the end of podcast, when I get done talking about the NFL draft, for football, really until, until what, late July or something like that? Man, for me, unless something cataclysmic happens or something extraordinary happens that's going to bring the attention of just the sports fan in general, not the diehard, I need to speak about the NFL in June and July type, not not, not those guys, not them gals, but just in terms of a general sports fan, because baseball's going to be doing the thing as such, hey man, this is going to be probably the last time for a little bit I'm going to be speaking about the NFL. Because now, unless Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert gets a contract extension, um, there's going to be some quietness around what's happening in the NFL because Lamar Jackson, speculation, remember? Remember when I said I'm not going to fall for it, man? 
I'm not taking the bait. I'm not going to do the, hey, Lamar Jackson wants to be traded. What does that mean for the Baltimore Ravens? What does that mean for the NFL? What does it mean for Lamar Jackson? What does it mean for the AFC? Where do you think Lamar Jackson will go? What is the best team that would fit for Lamar Jackson? Which team is going to give up the most for Lamar Jackson? Will Lamar Jackson ever get his guaranteed contract? Does Lamar Jackson deserve a guaranteed contract? I mean, over and over and over again. I wasn't going to take that bait, man. I wasn't going to go down that road. I wasn't going to play that game. I wasn't going to watch that movie, and I wasn't going to sing that song. No. I said, man, let's wait until everything plays out. Whether he's traded, whether he comes back, let's wait till everything come. Let's wait till everything is played out because there's just too much going on in the world right now and in the world of sports to be speculating about Lamar Jackson and where he's going to play when all we've heard basically is some rumor and innuendo. Well, the Patriots might be interested. Well, which teams are going to be interested? Well, which team can build his... I mean, they were always speaking about, well, if Lamar Jackson leaves. Can we wait until that happens before we go ahead and play that game when there's other games to be played? But, you know, it's ha- it finally happened. And I guess the theme that you can say is always bet on Lamar. <laughs> the last of the big offseason news has been completed for now. Again, unless Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow signs a contract extension, um, it's over, man. It's done. The NFL Network insider Eden Rappaport reported last Thursday that the Ravens and Jackson agreed to terms on a five-year, $260 million contract. Jackson's new deal includes $185 million in total guarantees. The $52 million a year pack makes Jackson the NFL's newest Highest paid player. Now, what impact did Jalen Hurts signing have on getting Lamar Jackson this deal? A rap report reported that uh, after Philadelphia signed Jalen Hurts to a five-year, $255 million contract 10 days ago, Baltimore stepped up and offered Jackson a contract that superseded it. The um, signing, the spring, the summer, the whatever, how long, the drama concerning Jackson is now all uh, now over. So he's got his deal. He's going to be in there for five years. I think it's going to be a, uh, it's a, it's a deal that works out for both Jackson and the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, it was a situation where, hey, look, man, it was about negotiation in terms of N- Lamar Jackson wanted a contract similar to Deshaun Watson. That was the rumor. That was the scuttlebutt, right? That he wanted the Deshaun, Jack, the Deshaun uh, Watson type of deal. And Baltimore, rightfully so, said, no, we're not going to give you a Deshaun Watson type of deal. And we're not going to make the same mistake that Jimmy Haslam and the Cleveland Browns made. I don't give a damn how good you are. If Patrick Mahomes ain't getting fully guaranteed money, why do you think we're going to give you guaranteed money? So it was a situation where, you know, it was back and forth. It was negotiating. And I think the bar was set when Jalen Hurts signed that contract that Baltimore said, well, you know, let's take a look. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, as of right now, who deserves that money? Or when we're speaking about the type of player that Lamar Jackson is, the type of accolades, the type of accomplishments that are on his resume already, and Jackson is still only 26 years old, still in his athletic prime, to sign him for another five years. And then you take a look at Jalen Hurts, who what rewarded that contract basically off of one season and how he is as a human being and everything that Jackson means to the Baltimore Ravens organization and that city of Baltimore, Maryland. 
Well, of course, then, you know, it was a situation where, look, Lamar, we can't give you a fully guaranteed contract, but we can make you the highest paid player in football. And I think they used the benchmark of Jalen Hurts to come up with that figure. And unlike a Joe Burrow or maybe someone like a Justin Herbert, there's really not anybody else that the Baltimore Ravens can point to to say, well, you need to take uh, you need to hit, take a little bit of a haircut, Lamar, because remember, we need to sign this guy and that guy and these guys and those guys. The Baltimore Ravens right now are not in the same situation as the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of their negotiation with Joe Burrow because it could be a situation where the Cincinnati Bengals, as I mentioned before, they can come up to Joe Burrow and say, look, Joe, we can make you the highest paid quarterback. If you won $54, $55 million over five or six years, we, we can go ahead and do that for you. And, and you would be in your right not only to ask, but to receive that type of money. But guess what? If we do that, who are you going to be throwing the ball to? Because it ain't going to be Jamar Chase and it ain't going to be T, T. Higgins. Um, because we're not going to be able to afford you getting that type of money and then having to pay the two best wide receivers at their position, i.e. the number one receiver in the game as far as being the number one receiver on the football team and then the number two receiver on the football team. Can you name another number two wide receiver on the football team that's better than T. Higgins? I'm quite sure that you can. So if we're going to pay premium dollar for Jamar Chase for what he does, and we are going to pay respectable top dollar for T. Higgins, especially when when T. Higgins reaches free agency, that there's going to be teams that are going to be wanting him to pay him number one wide receiver type of money. Well, we're not going to be able to do those things if you're going to be assigning a $55 million contract that's going to be eaten away um, at our salary cap. And by year four or five, you're going to be making over $60 million. We're not going to be able to do that. So with Joe Burrow situation, it's a little bit different than Lamar Jackson, who, again, Baltimore came to them and said, okay, on the horizon, who do we have to sign? What, maybe a Ronnie Staley, possibly, maybe a Mark Andrews, possibly, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be uh, receiving or they're not going to be expecting the type of money that Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and others amongst that Cincinnati team is going to uh, be receiving. And when you take a look at the success that Cincinnati has had, and you see how important those pieces are around Joe Burrow, it's only right or it's only reasonable for Joe Burrow to say, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you're speaking about an annual salary, instead of paying him $54 million a year, going to pay him $48 million a year over five years, that's going to be a $6 million difference every year. You times that by five. You're looking at Joe Burrow missing out on approximately $30 million before taxes. Yeah, that's a lot of coin. That's a lot of uh, money. That's a lot of bread not to be buttering and eating. But still, it's a situation where if Joe Burrow wants to win, if Joe Burrow wants to maximize his opportunities to win, then he's going to have to take a little bit of a haircut. Now, for Lamar Jackson, that is not the case. So, Again, when you're speaking about, you know, best quarterback in the game and who gets paid the most and what does that symbolize when you're speaking about, um, you know, how much money somebody is making and how much does that play into everything? Now the tables have turned, or I shouldn't say, shouldn't say the tables have turned, but now we're going to be looking at Lamar Jackson now in a whole new light. And I said this, and I've said this before, I said this when Aaron, Aaron Rodgers got paid by um, Green Bay years and years and years ago, or when he first signed that 
I believe it was a four-year, $160 million contract, something like that, about two or three years ago. I said this, man, when you start making that type of money, that, that, that stays with you. Now that's attached to you. Now that's expectations. Now everything that Lamar Jackson did, including his MVP season in 2018, now it's raised another level. Because now with that money, now with that moniker of you being the highest paid player in the game, all of a sudden now that comes with a whole bunch of expectations. That comes with a whole new set of expectations for you. Now, is Lamar Jackson ready for that? Is Lamar Jackson all of a sudden now going to be able to handle that? I think that he could. I think that he should. Have the Baltimore Ravens done enough to surround him with the talent for him to be successful and live up to that moniker as the best, or excuse me, as the highest played, uh, paid football player in the NFL. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see exactly what's going to be happening. Uh, we all know about the saga, the mini drama surrounding Jackson. He said that on March 2nd that he requested a trade before the Ravens didn't use the non-exclusive franchise tag on the quarterback. The sides had until July 17th to come up with a long-term agreement or the quarterback would play for the 32.14 uh, uh, $32. million dollar tender in 2023, and other clubs could offer him a tender. So again, that started the, hey, what's happening? Hey, what's going on? Hey, this, that, and the other. So Jackson was insistent that he wanted to be the most highest paid or the highest paid player in the game and that his contract be fully guaranteed. Again, like Cleveland gave to Deshaun Watson. So both sides needed what they needed to do to get to a contract extension. Um, it, it feels really, though, again, when you take a look at this, both had each under each other over a barrel. Wouldn't you think? When everything was all said and done, and, and, and maybe the relationship between the Ravens organization and Lamar Jackson really came to the forefront here because really each one of them could have uh, stuck it to the other pretty good because if you take a look at Lamar Jackson's situation you could have said hey look man you know what um how many times have I saved John uh John Harbaugh's uh job uh, with my performances how much does this community mean to me or how much does this community uh value me how much do I bring to the Baltimore Ravens organization financially i mean there's a situation where we, we we've seen what has happened when i'm not playing quarterback for the baltimore ravens you you can't todd hundley your way to a super bowl you can't todd hundley your way to a playoff game so we we see how much responsibility that i have to the offense the running game the passing game everything the offense clearly revolves around me i said years ago years ago that the player or the quarterback with the most responsibility on his team as far as the responsibility for generating offense and producing a, a solid, dynamic, productive offense, the quarterbacks that had the most responsibilities was Kyler Murray for the Arizona Cardinals who got paid like he paid mainly because of that uh, when Russell Wilson was with Seattle and Lamar Jackson. Those are the three players that were asked to do so much from an offensive standpoint from their team. So Lamar could have been, look, you know what? If you don't pay me what I want, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back possibly maybe, but I'll go ahead and look for another contract. I'll go ahead and look for another team. 
you know, and who's going to pay me what I want. I, I, I'll wait this out. But the Baltimore Ravens could have could have come back and said, okay, Lamar, you go ahead and do that. You 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 find a team that's going to pay you the contract with what you want. You you go out there and you find me a team right now that's going to pay you over $200 million of that money guaranteed over the next five years. Go ahead and go ahead and do that. Because there ain't nobody out there in the NFL that's going to do that. You name me a football team that's going to do that, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you would be a liar. Because that's not happening. So I think ultimately, Lamar kind of figured that out and said, okay, let's work. And the Ravens ultimately said, if we want to keep winning and we want to keep building and we want to keep growing and we want to keep being competitive, then we have to sign Lamar Jackson. There is no free agency. There is no quarterback in the draft. We're not going to bottom out and we're not going to flame out and we're not going to lose all of our games. We're not going to tank so possibly we can select Caleb Williams with the number one pick in next year's NFL draft at the quarterback from USC. We're not going to do that. So we might as well solidify the most important position in the in the game today, which is quarterback. Because if you went ahead and you let Lamar Jackson go, and you went ahead and you said, you know what, screw you, we're not going to pay you this amount of money, this, that, and the other. You're injury prone. You're one and three in the playoffs, and you've missed uh, X amount of games over this, that, and the other. If we're going to go ahead and we're going to do that, and we're going to have that type of attitude, then all we're going to be doing is going back and tanking and hoping and praying that we can draft somebody who can be, oh, I don't know, the next, the next Lamar Jackson. And there's not too many football players, if any, coming up now or on the horizon that can uh, be as productive as Lamar Jackson has been for the Baltimore Ravens. If you take a look at the record, that Baltimore had after they won the Super Bowl in 2012. The Ravens won just one playoff game over the next five seasons and won a combined 44 and 45 before Jackson became the starting quarterback. Since Jackson has become the starting quarterback for the Ravens, Baltimore is 45 and 16. His first full season under center, guess what? Lamar won the NFL MVP. Threw for 36 touchdowns, which led the league, threw for over uh, 3,000 yards, rushed for another 1,200. And he's the most entertaining, electrifying, and dynamic player in the league. He is the most electric, dynamic player in the league. So, yeah, man, at, at the very least, when you speak about Lamar, at the very least, he's on the second tier of franchise great NFL quarterbacks in the league right now, right? I mean, really, can't, can't you make a point that outside of Patrick Mahomes, who's head and shoulders above everybody, and I'm not just talking about the shampoo, um, you, you've got Joe Burrow, you've got Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, Kurt Cousins, Trevor Lawrence, maybe Aaron Rodgers, possibly, but Lamar Jackson is right there. And couldn't you say that outside of Patrick Mahomes, that Jackson is just as good or better than any of those guys? I mean, couldn't you say that he's just as good as uh, Joe Burrow? Well, Joe Burrow has led the um, he's led the Bengals to the uh, championship game, and he's led them to the Super Bowl, and this, that, and the other. Yeah, he's also been throwing to two of the best wide receivers in the game. Who's Lamar? Who's Lamar Jackson been throwing to? Rashad Bateman uh, for a year. Uh, who else? Hollywood Brown. I mean, yeah, Mark Andrews is a is a good tight end, but I mean, you know that that that's about it. And don't even ask about the running game. So, Lamar Jackson 
has more responsibility for the offense being successful than Joe Burrow. Jalen Hurts. Well, Jalen Hurts had one good year. So far, Lamar has had several. Justin Herbert. What has Justin Herbert done? Has Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert, this is his first year in the playoff, right? And then they had the meltdown against the um, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Dak Prescott, man, well, how, how, you know, maybe it's a situation where we judge Jack, uh, Dak Prescott a little bit too harsh because of the uh, that, uh, because of the team that he plays for. But would you rather have Lamar Jackson over Dak Prescott? I think most people would, especially after watching some of the last performances or last um, season, some of the performances by Prescott. I mean, Kirk Cousins is another one. Trevor Lawrence is up and coming, but he that's what he is, up and coming. Aaron Rodgers is going to be, what, 40 years old, and he's coming off a bad season. We don't know now if he's on the decline or if this is just a situation where um, the Green Bay situation last uh, year was intendable for him to have the type of season that he had the two years prior. So again, you, you can make a strong argument, not a, a very valid argument that, hey man, the um, that Lamar Jackson is just as good or at the very least just as valuable due as, to his team as these other quarterbacks are who are getting paid. And I can also see how there's risk involved when you're speaking about since his MVP season, Jackson's number have declined. I mean, he set career lows in 2022 with uh, completing only 62% of his passes and seven yards per attempt, which is figures that were both well below league average. We can speak about his injuries. You know, he's missed each of the final five games of the season in 2021 and 2022 with injuries. In fact, Jackson's absence, as you remember, cost the Ravens a playoff berth in 2021 and a division title in 2022. So what what now should be that you, you, you throw all that into the pot, you throw all that into the mixture, you throw all that into the uh, meal. What are we talking about here? Where are we going with now? What are we talking about? Basically, basically, what are the what are the expectations now for the Baltimore Ravens? And what are the expectations for Lamar Jackson? The team's 2021 first-round draft pick Rashad Bateman is back after missing most of his second season with injuries. The team signed Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-year deal. Mark Andrews, again, is going to be aided by the ascension of a second-year tight end. Uh, Isaiah Likely, who caught 36 passes as a rookie. The offensive line is going to get better. The running game should still be somewhat prominent. So it's, it's, it's Lamar who's going to stir the drink. It's Lamar who's going to be the engine of the car. It's Lamar who's going to be the star of the show. It's Lamar who's going to be whether the Baltimore Ravens have a strong offense or not. What's going to be the situation? What is going to be the expectations, again, for both the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson? When you speak about the Ravens always having a very formidable defense, and now Lamar coming back again with the moniker, of him being the highest paid player in the NFL. So that's going to be the um that's going to be the interesting thing. And again, having Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, is that the what 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 Odell Beckham Jr. are we getting? Are we getting the Odell Beckham Jr. with the New York Giants? I don't think that Odell Beckham Jr. is coming through the door, folks. Um you can't tear an ACL twice and still be the guy that you were when you were in your early 20s, at least athletically. Uh, so the the Odell Beckham Jr. who was that guy who was that guy when he was with the New York Giants, I think that guy is gone. How much of the old Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be with the Baltimore Ravens and being and, and playing with 
uh, Lamar Jackson and what's going to be his expectations teaming with Lamar. Everybody talks about, well, that's going to, you know, the signing of, of Odell, OBJ, that is the best signing at wide receiver that Lamar Jackson has had at the wide receiver position. And then they say much. That's quite an indictment on the, on the Baltimore Ravens for who they've had at the wide receiver position. So time will tell. It'll be interesting moving forward uh, with, um, with this uh, new chapter for the Baltimore Ravens moving forward. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, hey, man, it's time to go into hibernation, right? NFL draft is over. Free agency is over. Aaron Rodgers is a New York Jet. Um, Lamar Jackson resigned with the Baltimore Ravens. That's it, right? Are we done? Are we finished? Because you take a look at the offseason for the NFL starting this month, um, this Friday to May 8th or May 12th through the 15th is rookie minicamp. Then mid-May, you had the NFL schedule release show, which, again, I, I, I can't sit there in May and break down the schedule and say, let me see, this team is going to go 11-6, and six. this team is going to go 4-13, and 13. this team is going to go 10-7, and seven. this team is going to be great. Let's take a look at week 16. Ah, we've got this team playing that team. Okay, that should be a victory. Let's go to week 9. Let me see, this team is playing that team. So, all right, this team should be able to win this game. So, based on that, I'm going to say that this team is going to be the conference champs or division champs. I, I, I can't. I mean, I can't do all that stuff, man. I just can't speculate. It's nonsense. It's bullshit. It's ridiculous. Why are we speaking about teams playing another team in November or December in May and predicting, well, that team's going to win? What? What? What are we talking about? Y'all can't talk about baseball. Y'all can't talk about the NBA. Y'all can't talk about anything else. I mean, when the season schedule comes out, hey, man, the NBA playoffs are still going to be going on. Major League Baseball is still going to be going on. You can't think about anything else. You can't talk about anything else except spending hours breaking down a game that's going to be happening in November or December. Yikes! Can't do that. So I'm not going to do that. So um, watch the uh, watch the Greenberg show um, every morning if you want to hear that nonsense. So uh, yeah, but um, mid May the NFL schedule is going to come out. I don't care. I'm not going to look at it. I just don't care. May 22nd to the uh, 24th, the spring league meetings are going to be happening. June 6th, the start of mandatory minicamp for teams. Clubs are allowed to have. Three mandatory practices. Then July 17th, deadline for teams with franchise tag players to sign a long-term contract extension. Teams are not allowed to uh, re-engage in negotiations with franchise players after this date until the conclusion of the 2023 season. And then after that, training camp starts. So, (sighs) to end the show, the last segment of the show, I'm going to be speaking about what's happening with the NFL Draft. And then that's it. You got anything left for me to speak about concerning the NFL? Is there anything that I should be focusing on when it comes to the NFL in May or in June or in July? Do do you want me to go on and on and on about the training camps, about the uh, mini camps? I'm sorry. So uh, so in June 6th, because I, I, I know that's what's going to be happening, right? Ooh, Aaron Rodgers, is he going to come to minicamp? How is he going to look in minicamp? How is he gelling with Garrett Wilson? Ooh, Lamar Jackson, is he going to come to minicamp? Ooh, how does this rookie look? Ooh, how does this team look? It's June, man. It's June. How do we know it's June? <laughs> so 
I can't. Ooh, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Um, the, the second day of training camp, he looked great. Are you now ready to put the Jets as Super Bowl favorites? What? <laughs> Ooh, Aaron Rodgers looked a little bit shaky his third uh, day at mini camps. Does that mean that the Jets made a mistake? What's going to happen now with Aaron Rodgers? Like what? <laughs> so it's I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. Bryce Young looked pretty good. Could he be the rookie of the year? What? So I can't. I can't. I can't have those conversations in June. I just can't. I I, I really can't. So there you go. So the NFL season in hibernation. I'm kind of glad, right? Now, aren't you glad? We're going to talk again. I'm going to talk to you about what's happening with the NFL draft very briefly at the end of the program. After that, we're done. After that, I don't want to hear anything about the NFL. And like I said, unless it's something cataclysmic or unless it's something that's, you know, worthwhile talking about, which I can't see on the horizon, I don't I don't want to talk about the NFL anymore, man. I, I need a break from the NFL. Again, once July, late July, August comes, we will gradually, at least here on this podcast, if, if, if the Lord is willing to still have me around, we will gradually be speaking about the NFL and we'll be getting into the training camp. We'll be getting into who looks good and all that type of stuff. And we'll be breaking down some of the preseason games and who looked all right and who looked good and who did this and who did that. We'll, 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 we'll be diving into that just a little bit. But man, college football is going to be starting and college football games are going to be counting a lot sooner than the NFL. So we're going to be getting into college football. So, hey man, let's just put the NFL on the back burner. All right. Because right now, let me see. Um, how can I describe this? If the NBA is like my Halle Berry, if the NBA is like my Layla Roshan, if the NBA is like my Monica Bellucci, if the NBA is like my Selma Hayek, if the NBA is like the prize of them all for me, there ain't nothing better, there ain't nobody. As far as the NBA is concerned, if, if, if the NBA, in my eyes, in my opinion, in my heart, with my passion, if the NBA was a woman, it would be Halle Berry. It would be God dressed as a woman walking around this planet and making bad movies like Catwoman. Still looking super fine in her 50s. That would be the NBA for me. It's my Halle Berry. It would, that's, that's my wifey. That's my dream. Of course, my dream ain't going to be happening. But, you know, the NFL is like the second in command, man. She's like my main side chick. You know, she's like my she's like my Jada Fire. You know what I'm saying? She's like my, uh, ooh, um, I don't know. I don't even know who's supposed to be great looking nowadays. But she's, she's, she's the, the, the NBA is my Halle Berry, is my wife. But the NFL is my main squeeze, my main side check, my main side piece, all that kind of good stuff. But guess what? It's time for the side piece to hit the road because now it's, it's NBA action. It's Halle all the way through. And uh, I don't want to see my side piece again until the fall. I don't want to see my side piece until it's time to start with the regular season. Then my side piece can come back. Then my uh, Vivica A. Fox back in the day can come on back. You know, that's what I'm talking about. But as of right now, Hallie is here. Hallie is here to stay. So I don't know if that made any sense. But, uh, you know, me talking about it did envision Halle Berry. And uh, it, it can't be nothing worse than that. So, yeah, man, it's uh, the NFL season put into hibernation. But one thing that is now just coming to life is the NFL, is the NBA playoffs. Remember when... Some people, <coughs> Charles Barkley, <coughs> were speaking about, you know, there's no reason to watch the first round of the NBA playoffs. It's going to be a joke. I almost compared the first round of the NBA playoffs to almost like the first weekend 
in the NCAA basketball tournament, right? For March Madness, right? What what was what is the thing that gives the tournament its charm, right? It's what 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 is the hook, right? That David versus Goliath. Anybody could beat anybody. Which higher seeds is going to be upset? Which surprises are going to be happening? And most of the time in the NBA, that doesn't happen. So the NBA can't uh, really um, put up the banner. On, on that to say, hey, this is the reason why you should watch the NBA playoffs in the first round because you never know when a number one or a number two seed or a team with the best record in the league or a team that's supposed to be winning a championship is going to lose in the first round to a team that had no business being in there. Normally, that stuff doesn't happen. In fact, very rarely does it happen. Oh, but it happened in this off season. It happened in this uh, NBA uh, playoff season. Down go with the Bucks. Down goes the Grizzlies. So we got the Eastern Conference semifinal set. We got the Western Conference semifinal set. And man, here I am. Now I am set to talk about what's going to be happening in those conference semifinals. Wendell's World in Sports. He's the greatest of them all. He is the greatest of them all. Do you understand what I'm talking about, man? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the words that are coming from my mouth? The greatest of them all. The one and only Otis Redding. You better give me some respect, goddammit. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The NBA playoffs have now started. Western Conference semifinals. Are, I'm watching the Lakers play the um, Golden State Warriors right now. How could you be missing this game, Wendell? Well, number one, I'm not because I'm watching this as I'm recording this podcast. I'm not going to give the score, but all I know is that just, uh, who was that who just missed a... Uh, who was that who just missed a, a reverse layup with the score being 42-41 L.A. with seven minutes left to go in the um, second quarter? Oh, I don't know. But, um, you know, this is going to be a this is going to be a good series between L.A. and uh, Golden State. And mainly we're going to be speaking about the two main players, the two stars, the two legends, the two Hall of Famers. I guess now you can speak about the ever-growing legend that is Steph Curry for the Golden State Warriors against the already legend and one of the greatest, if not the greatest player in NBA history, LeBron James, still doing his thing at 38 years old, not doing it like he did when he was 28 or 32 or even 34, 35, but yet and still LeBron still being a um, a valuable contributor to, uh, to the Lakers. Um, it's interesting, man, to see the Lakers in this position. Um, I don't know exactly what to make of this series. I think um, the Lakers took advantage of an immature 
the Memphis Grizzlies team who kind of folded and unraveled after losing game one on the road, excuse me, game one at home, and then the whole Dylan Brooks fiasco and everything that went down with John Morant this uh, season. Just don't think that the uh, Memphis Grizzlies had the had the maturity level to face any type of adversity. And, and we saw that in game six when the Lakers put the smack down on them and the Memphis Grizzlies meekly went out and you saw John Moran over there on the bench with uh, Brandon Clark laughing it up and joking. I, I don't know exactly what was so funny as you were being humiliated by the Lakers at number seven seed, who at one point was, what, eight or nine games below 500? And a guy who was sitting there talking about, yeah, you know, the only team that we fear in the West is nobody, and the only team that we fear is the Boston Celtics, and we don't fear anybody in the Western Conference. So you say all that shit, and you're down by 40, and you're getting your ass whooped, and a very disappointing uh, first-round exit, and you're over there laughing, especially after everything that you did, to cause some of this turmoil, which caused the outcome of this series, and you're still up there laughing, and you are expected to be a guy who can be a franchise player, talent-wise, definitely, talent-wise, John Moran had the opportunity to be the best small player in the NBA since Allen Iverson. And when I say that, I mean a guy who can make a strong push for a team to win a championship, a guy who can win MVP, a guy who can be a perennial first team all NBA performer a guy who can be um, the best guard in the NBA but maturity wise he just ain't there yet both on the court and off the court he's just not there and when you surround that team with other players who are immature um, you know and I know we all want to focus on uh, Dylan Brooks but there's others Jaron Jackson Jr. needs to grow up and such Um, Denver excuse me uh, Memphis just didn't have what it took was adversity to hit. And when you have LeBron, you have AD and those guys, um, they took advantage of that and put and laid the smackdown on them in game six. So moving into this series against the against the Golden State Warriors who had to fight, scratch, and claw uh, for six games or seven games against the Sacramento Kings, what, what does that mean moving forward? What does that mean in this series moving forward because now the Lakers are going to have to adjust, right? The Lakers are now going to have to adjust to a team that's that, that are grown-ups, a team that is a champion, a team that has home court advantage and is not going to give it up so meekly and easily as the Memphis Grizzlies did. Um, what motivation that are they going to find in terms of just the regular, hey, we have a chance to move on to the Western Conference Finals. Anthony Davis already in the first half has 20 points on 9 to 10 shooting with 8 rebounds and 2 blocks trying to complete the 3 point play. They're going to need Anthony Davis. Memphis Anthony Davis ain't going to get it done against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, everything flows through LeBron and everything flows through AD. Everybody wants to sit there and talk about Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and Rudy Hachimura and all those good things. You're, you're, you're not going to get those type of performances against the Golden State Warriors on the consistent basis that those guys did against the Memphis Grizzlies. So for the Lakers to succeed, they're going to need Anthony Davis, the Anthony Davis that was playing like an MVP candidate the second half of the season. They're going to need that guy, especially when you're going up against the Golden State Warriors and we have seen what Steph Curry can do. Which superstar, which main player, which franchise player is going to be able to have a, a historic game. We already saw Steph Curry do it in Game 7 against the uh, against the Sacramento Kings. 
Now, now who's going to be there and who's going to be able to do that for the Los Angeles Lakers? The only player that had the capability of matching what uh, Steph Curry did on a consistent basis is going to be Anthony Davis. LeBron in game, what was that, game four against Memphis, the game that he had 20 points and 20 rebounds. It was a hard working, it was a lunch pail working type of performance for LeBron to uh, come up with those numbers. But that left him absolutely gassed and exhausted and had nothing left in the tank for game five. So, so this is going to be a situation where it's like, hey, man, you know, um, we're not going to be able to count on LeBron to be the LeBron of, of old. That's now going to be Anthony Davis. Can Anthony Davis string together two, three, four consecutive games where he is going to be the most dominant player on the court, that he is going to be the difference maker on the court? Because that's what he's going to have to do for L.A. to move on because we know at the very least when they need it the most, we know in a crucial situation that Steph is going to come through. And Steph is going to be a monster. And Steph is going to take the game in his hands. Throughout the last couple of seasons, we've seen Steph Curry do that. We saw that in the series against the Boston Celtics where they won that championship. And we saw it in the first round game seven against the Sacramento Kings. If need be, Steph can go and raise it up an even higher level where he can give you anywhere between 40 to 50 and put a team on his shoulders. Not for four minutes in a quarter, not for the final three minutes of the fourth, not for even a half, but for an entire game and then some moving forward. Basically, he put Sacramento on the, he put Sacramento out to sea in terms of their chances of getting back into the game in that third quarter and game seven where it was a tight game and him with the Kavon Ludi said, nah, that's okay. This game's over with. I'm taking it over, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And sorry, D'Angelo Russell. Sorry, um, uh, Austin Reeves. Sorry, um, anybody else on the Lakers out there in the perimeter trying to guard this guy. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen in terms of when Steph gets a cooking, when Chef Curry starts cooking, there's nothing that you can do, baby. There's nothing that you can do to uh, slow him down. The key is going to be for the Golden State Warriors now moving forward is the fact that, hey, um, we need Clay to uh, step up. We need we need Jordan Poole to do something, man. Jordan Poole, I don't know what the deal was, um, but just in terms of minutes, just in terms of situations, um, he lost a lot of trust from uh, Steve Kerr. I mean, it's a situation where, hey, man, he did not have a good series against Sacramento. He's got to regain uh, what he was in this series against L.A. Kevon Looney, while he can still get you 10-plus rebounds against Anthony Davis, he's not going to dominate the boards like he did against the uh, Sacramento Kings. So it'll be interesting moving forward um, to where all of this plays into. H how much of the narrative that the Golden State Warriors need home court advantage to win because they were such a bad road team this season. How much was that put to bed when they won two games, including Game 7 going away in the first round against Sacramento in terms of, well, if they lose Game 1 or Game 2 to L.A., what does that mean for them moving forward? How important are these games for uh, Golden State in games one and two uh, to continue to have home court advantage. So 
All of those things are going to be in play as we go ahead and we take a look at what's happening in the NBA playoffs in the semifinal rounds, which have started. The uh, one, um, the uh, one in the Eastern Conference, the uh, Miami Heat and the uh, New York Knicks. New York's pulled it. New York pulled it out. Um, but you have to say that it was a win for the Miami Heat. Yes, I know that they lost on the uh, scoreboard. But playing without Jimmy Butler and still keeping it close like they did and having the uh, Knicks work as hard as they did, it has to be a win for the um, for the Miami Heat because back in now back for Game Three, which is going to be what on Friday or Saturday. So now we're speaking about extended time off for Butler to uh, rest and heal his um, his ankle injury. So that that's going to be something that's going to be advantageous for Miami um, moving forward. I, I, I know it's a situation where, look, man, no one wants to see Miami in the playoffs. They play that grit, grind, ugly, slow down, mopping, mug, muggly, fugly, ugly, dugly type of uh, type of uh, game. And you're cursing out Milwaukee. You're cursing out Giannis. You're cursing out Drew. You're cursing out Chris Middleton. You're, you're, you're cursing out Grayson Allen. You're cursing out Mike Budenholzer because it's like, God damn it. I don't want to see fucking Miami Heat in the NBA playoffs. I just don't. They grit. They grind. Everybody talks about, ooh, Ben, how does uh, Miami do it? They play this way all year long. They they, They are the antithesis of what the Boston Celtics are. The Boston Celtics are just turning on when they need to. And that's not the Miami Heat. There's no turning off and on for the uh, Miami Heat. The Heat are always on. The Heat are always going to try to ground you and pound you. Uh, regardless if it's a preseason game, regardless if it's a regular season game, or regardless if it's a postseason game. That's what the Miami Heat do. And with the characters that they have on their team and the character that fits with the Miami Heat, when you're talking about uh, the players, hey, man, that's why the Miami Heat are doing what they are doing. So 1-1 against the Knicks coming back. Jalen Brunson had a big game. Um, It was good to see Julius Randle back if you're a New York Knick. Somehow, some way, um, you know, the Knicks should have a better opportunity on the road because if you go to Miami, I mean, how many New Yorkers are right now living in Miami? How many retirees who have retired after living a lifetime in Brooklyn or the Bronx or Queens or Manhattan or Staten Island or Long Island are down there, um, are down there in Miami? So there should not be such an overwhelming home court advantage for Miami as the Knicks come down for game three and four to see what they can do to uh, get back home court advantage by taking at least one, they would love to take two. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The uh, Boston Celtics and the um, Philadelphia 76ers, man. Jeez. Philadelphia wins game one without Joel Embiid. Really? Really, Boston? Seriously? Philadelphia won 119-115. James Harden had the best game of his career, matched his playoff career high with 45 points, hit the go-ahead step-back three-pointer over Al Horford with 8.7 seconds left. He shot 17 of 30 from the floor. He was 7 of 14 from the three-point range. He also had just three turnovers in 39 minutes. He was the James Harden that I'm quite sure that every person who has been a long-time Houston Rocket fans were ye- was yelling. Who was watching that game was yelling at the television, throwing objects at the television, and screaming at the top of their lungs. Where was that when you were playing with us, James? <laughs> Damn, we sure could have used that in those series against Golden State. 
Damn, we could have sure used that performance in game six against San Antonio. Damn, we could have used that performance before. You go to Philly and all of a sudden now, now you want to play like the James Harden that we thought that we were getting during your heyday in Houston? Damn, man, what the fuck's wrong with that? Scored 15 points in the uh, final quarter. So, yeah, man, James Harden finally played like uh, James Harden should be playing and that the Houston Rockets were hoping that he would be playing that he never did on a consistent basis. Now, again, it's just one game. So we don't know, but did you ever see James Harden in a playoff game play like that and be that clutch with the situation? You could easily make the point, not hyperbole, you could easily make the argument that that was the best game that James Harden has ever played in his NBA career. And yes, you can point to me that he scored more points or he's done more fantastic things or he's had a better floor game and all of these things. Go back to his MVP season. You, you can go in all, on, on all of that. The reputation that he brought into the playoffs, the situation that was facing him for game one without the MVP, Joel Embiid, and he comes back and has an efficient, dominating game like that against the defending conference champions. Yeah, man, easy to say that that was um, the best game of his career, or you can make the argument that that was the best game of his career. So, look, he wasn't the only one that shared in the I can't believe it. You're great. That was wonderful for the um, Philadelphia 76ers. Tyrese Maxey added 26 points. Tobias Harris finished with 18 points for the Sixers. Paul Reed outplayed uh, Al Horford. Paul Reed from DePaul in there for Joel Embiid. 13 rebounds, playing 37 minutes. Um, DeAnthony Melton scored 17 points, going 5 or 6 from the 3-point range. So, yeah, I, I think it was a situation, and... I think that we can say, in this essence, at least for one game, James Harden, for the first time in a little while, finally got a situation that he had been used to for so many years, which was being the focal point of an offense. When he went to Brooklyn, that didn't happen. And when he went to Philadelphia, that didn't happen. All of a sudden now, when he left Houston, he left his team. Now, all of a sudden, he went to a team that had Kyrie and had KD. Then he was traded to a team where the star, the best player on the team, was Joel Embiid. So so, so now it's a situation where it was like, kind of like for the first time uh, because of injury that James Harden was forced to be the James Harden that was in Houston, that made his bones in Houston, that wrote his Hall of Fame resume in Houston. And for one game, because James Harden just can't, he can't do that anymore. I mean, J- James Harden can't go ahead and have those type of games on a regular basis. But needing him to do what he needed to do, he superseded. He he um he um really did the job in uh, getting that done. And I think it was a situation that was similar to uh, to what happened with Russell Westbrook. This postseason, you remember with the L.A. Clippers, Paul George was already out, and then Kawhi Leonard goes down after game two. Now, all of a sudden, Russell gets to uh, have some type of version of when he was with the um, Oklahoma City Thunder, dominating the basketball, taking a lot of shots, scoring a lot of points. Um, We just saw that basically in game five, Russell Westbrook just ran out of gas and went back to being the Los Angeles Lakers version of Russell Westbrook. But, um, you know, it, it was vintage. It was a vintage performance and a vintage situation put on James Harden, and um, and he responded. For the Boston Celtics, what can you say, man? Embarrassing, disappointing, head scratching, head. You know, I I I don't understand exactly what happened. 
How do you shoot 74% from the field in the first half and only lead 66-63? Oh, that's right, when you allow the other team to shoot 11 or 19 from the three-point line. I mean, how do you how do you come after the situation? Boston made 17 of their first 20 shots. They shot almost 60% from the field and committed just 10 turnovers for the entire game. And they lost. According to ESPN Stats and Info, in the regular season and playoffs, teams were 23-0 in the shot clock era entering tonight, that's 1954-1955, when shooting at least 55% and committing fewer than 10 uh, fouls. Tatum scored 39, Jalen Brown scored 23, they combined to shoot 22 or 35 from the field, 7-9 from the three-point line. How do you lose? How do you lose? You lose when you go out and you don't respect. Just like the guys on the uh, Inside NBA show, Shaq and Charles and Kenny were speaking. When you, when you go out there and you have your mentality that this is just a game in February and we should win this game because the MVP, the most dominant player in the game, is not playing. So because of that, Philadelphia is going to play down to the level that we are playing in. You didn't learn, you didn't learn anything from the um, Atlanta Hawks uh, series, did you, Boston, for the first game? How can you come out so lackadaisical? How can you come out with no defensive effort, no defensive intensity at a playoff level? How can you do that? It, it, it's amazing. It, it's almost like a situation where it's, are, are you guys just content to know that it's going to go at least six or seven games? So we don't want to uh, exert too much energy. We want to pace ourselves. So by the time we hit game six, the time we hit game seven, we'll be rip-roaring and ready to go. We'll be fresh. Is that the mentality that you have? Because that's the way you play like you did uh, in, the, in, in game one. You, you, you played like you were pacing yourself. Man, this is not a marathon. This is a sprint. And you damn near got, you, you damn near found that out the hard way against Atlanta. But you know, hey, you know what? The, the Hawks game six, da 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 da. Okay, we'll put in three good minutes and then we'll be done with them. We're done. That ain't going to happen against the 76ers, man. You can't play like that. You can't perform like that. Malcolm Brogdon played 34 minutes, scored 20 points, and shot 9 of 16 from the field. But none of those guys guarded anybody. Of course, Brogdon with the, um, with the uh, bad pass uh, at the end of the game. But still, it shouldn't have come down to that. Those guys weren't guarding anybody. And maybe I can understand a little bit to say, okay, James is cooking, James is doing a thing, but, you know, he, he can't keep this up forever. This is not the James Harden that was a regular season player. This is not February James Harden five years ago with the Houston Rockets. This is playoff James Harden. We know the resume. We know the evidence. We have the evidence on James Harden when it comes to uh, playoff James Harden. He can't keep this up. He's not going to keep this up. Let's just keep it close. Let's just keep what we're doing, and pretty soon he'll uh, slow down. He'll run out of gas. But James Harden never did. And on top of that, he was facilitating the others to where Boston wasn't playing any defense on them either. So it was it was, uh, it was in... I don't know. It was a perplexing type of game for the Celtics. They must have taken a look and said, look, we won the um, season series against uh, Philadelphia, three games to one. So we should uh, we should have no problem. And, and I'm quite sure that there's not panic in the Celtics, but there, but there should be some concern because that panic or that lack of panic should be a concern if the Celtics don't have the respectable lack or the respectable fear factor or the respectable panic level move up 
Because this is what got them in trouble in the first place. Oh, yeah, we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll come out in game two. Harden's going to have that game again. Embiid is not going to be playing. We learned our lesson. We'll be fine. We're gonna, we're, we'll hit the court. We'll do this. We'll do that. You know, we're, we're, I, I want to see from Boston. I don't know how long they can sustain this. I don't even know if they have enough respect for their opponent right now to even play at the level of desperation. The play at a level of passion saying, we need to win this game. I, I don't know if they're at that level yet. And I don't know if it's going to take them going down 3-1. Or I don't know what it's going to take for them to finally reach that level of panic to say, man, we've got to play hard. We've got to play tough. We've got to play focused. We've got to play playoff winning basketball. And we've got to do it now. And I don't know if they wait too long if they can quote-unquote flip that, that uh, switch. I don't know if it's, okay, we're down 3-1. Okay, now, we're start, now we'll start trying, and now we'll just go ahead and, and do our thing. I don't know if the Celtics have that in them. I don't know if Jason Tatum had that in them. I don't know if Jalen Brown had that in them. And now with Joe Mazzula as your head coach, are we starting to see now the difference between Emeka Yudoka and Mazzula in terms of, well, this is one of the reasons why one was a head coach and the other one was an assistant coach, and all the questions that came with Mazzula being the coach for the Boston Celtics, the fact that he only got the position because of the stupidity of Emeka Yudoka cheating on a beautiful Nubian princess like Nia, um, like Nia Long with some white woman, sorry, but, <laughs> but I mean, is I mean that's the only reason why Joe Mazzula got the job, you know, right? Because Emeka Yudoka wanted to stray away from um, Nia Long. I have no idea why. I have no concept why. I don't know. I mean, what's wrong with eating steak every day? I mean, if you're going to eat steak, you might as well, if you're going to, you know, move away from steak, you might as well try to eat lobster or deep sea scallops. I don't know why you would eat uh, a McDonald's hamburger, which he was uh, doing instead of uh, eating a steak with Neil Long. So I don't know what his deal was, but the bottom line was Joe Mazzula only got that job because of the indiscretions of Emeka Yudoka. So Joe Mazzula wasn't on anybody's list or radar to become a head coach, at least not yet. So the inexperience now showing, not just for game one against the um, 76ers, but now in the in the playoff game so far, we'll see. We will see. Mazzula took, you know, he took... Um, he took ownership of it. He said that he went to the uh, team after the game. He said, my bad. I should have put y'all in a better position, and um, I will do better. So, okay, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. Uh, Wendell's World of Sports. Wendell Wallace here. I'm your host. I'm just taking a look. Um, what can the 76ers do with uh, Joel Embiid? Because I was all ready before game one to sit up here and talk about Joel Embiid and to be talking about, hey, man, you know, this is – Joel Embiid starting to become the Kawhi Leonard or the um, Chris Paul of the Eastern Conference in terms of, I mean, you can't trust this guy, man. You can't trust it. Like P.E. said, you can't trust it. I mean, there's a guy who, again, is, inj- is injured. He'd injured um, his LCL in his right knee in Game 3 of the opening series against Brooklyn, right? So the last game that Embiid played for against, uh, played, uh, against uh, Boston on April 4th, Man had 52 points, grabbed 13 rebounds, 6 assists. The one victory that Philly had over Boston in the regular season. So I'm sitting there thinking thinking like, um, without Embiid, I don't know how Philadelphia is going to win this series. Oh, I know how they can win this series. If Boston comes out and play, plays like it's the dog days of the NBA. And James Harden has the game of his career. Again, how much can that be 
you know, followed up in Game 2 moving forward. Um, I'm quite sure Embiid is going to give it a try in Game 3, especially when you speak about the days off between Game 2 and Game 3. But, man, there's always something with Joel. It's either that he was out of shape by the time playoffs came because he couldn't keep himself in condition because he was injured or he was injured or... There's always something with this guy, man, which pre- which prevents him from being the dominant force that he is on a consistent basis in the regular season. So so we'll see what happens. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets, man. The Phoenix Suns, they is in some troubles. Denver takes a 2-0 series lead, going to Phoenix after a beautifully ugly 97-87 victory for them in Game 2. I say it was beautifully ugly because for Denver, it had to be beautiful. The fact the game was so ugly. Why? Because, hey, man, you know, Jamal Murray sometimes is going to go, what, 2 for 12 or 2 for whatever and have a bad game. You know, sometimes you're going to have to win a game that's going to be ugly. Um, that's what playoff teams do. And for a team that many people still feel is a quote-unquote regular season team only, uh, it was good for them to uh, win a game like that where they had to muck it up in the fourth quarter. They had to play defense and grind out a, a victory. Nikola Jokic, fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. That Serbian is fantastic. He was last night. 39 points, 16 rebounds, scored 18 of Denver's 31 points in the third quarter. Nuggets came back uh, from a third quarter deficit to cut it to uh, 73-70. Then KCP, Contavious Caldwell Pope said, I'll take it from here with three pointers that uh, gave the Nuggets the lead. Phoenix basically ran out of gas and uh, MB just took over. Traded buckets with Booker, with uh, Devin Booker late in the um, third quarter. Those two had a very, very mini Larry Bird, Dominique Wilkins game seven, 1988 NBA um, playoff performance. Uh, scoring the final 16 points of the stanza. But, uh, yeah, Jokic was awesome, man. Scored 26 points in the uh, second half. Aaron Gordon added 16 points. KCP added 14 points. Again, he went four for four from behind the arc, behind the, behind the arc including back-to-back swishes that erased the 73-70 deficit and put the Nuggets ahead for good early in the fourth quarter. Um, again, it was a satisfying win. Overcame a 3-for-15 performance from Jamal Murray. They had to win with defense. Um, and Jokic carried them. And we, we speak about players who have a lot on their plate. Or, or players with quote-unquote something to prove, right? And we speak about Embiid. We speak about almost every player out there, maybe with the exception of LeBron and Steph, um, have the, well... You know who 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 needs this championship more than anyone, right? What what which player has the most pressure riding on them going into the playoffs, right? I mean, except for the Lakers, and except for maybe the Miami Heat, maybe you could say something about Jimmy Butler, but I would doubt it. But maybe with the exception of the Miami Heat and the uh, Los Angeles Lakers and the uh, Golden State Warriors again, the best players on those teams. Their pretty, their legacies are pretty much set. I, I, I think that uh, with LeBron James, no matter what he does, 
people are never going to give him his just due or people of my generation are never going to give him his just due because of their loyalty, their cult-like, uh, uh, their cult-like stature um, and, and, and uh, religious veal, zeal in, in uh, Michael Jordan. If the Los Angeles Lakers win this championship and LeBron wins his fifth championship, people aren't going to give him credit. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Right, no one's ever going to say, "Well, now he's better than Jordan." It doesn't matter what LeBron does. LeBron can go out there. We're at halftime now of uh, the first game against the uh, Golden State Warriors. LeBron can go out there by himself, by himself. No other players. Tell the other players, the coaches, the trainers, everybody else, just stay in the locker room. I'm going to take the Warriors on one on five. Not only will he win the game. He'll tell those guys, look, man, go to Hawaii, relax, take a cruise, go to Cabo, hang out with your girlfriend, hang out with your wife, hang out with your kids. I'm doing the rest of the series by myself. By myself. And LeBron wins a championship going as the only guy on the court for the LA Lakers. And as he holds up the championship, because he'll be the only one on the court for the Lakers, as they beat the Miami Heat or the Philadelphia 76ers or the Boston Celtics or the New York Knicks, whoever, and LeBron is holding up the championship trophy by himself because by himself, as the only person on the court, he was the one that won the championship. As he held up the trophy, people all over this country from my generation will snicker and smear and say, yeah, well, that was Jordan. Jordan could have done that also. Shit. (laughs) Big fucking deal. He still lost four times in the. Uh, he still lost six times in the in the uh, NBA Finals. He'll never be as great as Jordan. And so, so you know, there there is nothing. There is nothing that um, LeBron can do to um, usurp or even have a strong conversation in terms of who's the greatest in, in that conversation with uh, with the sheep, which are called the Jordan dick suckers. There, there's just never. There's nothing that they can do. There's nothing. So it's just a matter of LeBron pretty much is, is set. I mean, I don't think that even if he did that, that um, he could ever, for a certain group of people, talk about the Kobe. I mean, if he wins a championship, and LeBron wins a championship now, and I'm sorry I'm off track. I'm supposed to be speaking about uh, Denver and um, Phoenix. I'll get back to that in a second. But I just want to throw out this discussion real quick. Man, <clears throat> if uh, LeBron wins a championship, are you going to give the man any credit? Or are you just going to sit there and say, well, big fucking deal. The only reason why LeBron won the championship because the NBA right now is garbage. They're not a dominant team. The Nuggets were just a uh, regular season team. The uh, Warriors were over the hill. Uh, Sacramento didn't win. They would have given the Lakers a much bigger challenge. Uh, AD was the real reason why that the Lakers won a championship. It had nothing to do with LeBron. Memphis was immature and it was a joke. Uh, Miami's had banged up and they were overachieving. The Knicks weren't ready to win a championship yet. Philadelphia is no good because Harden is a playoff choker. I mean, what? What, what what exactly what exactly for the LeBron haters out there or for those who want to protect the the the, the Jordan is the greatest ever without any doubt and if you mention LeBron James then you're an imbecile for those irrational stupidity folks who are going to come up with that idea what excuse are you going to have if the Lakers win a championship and I don't want to hear and I don't have to because the Lakers aren't going to win a championship play with me joke with me sing with me Dance with me. If you're a beautiful female, have sex with me on this one. Walk with me. Talk with me. Answer the question. If the Lakers win a championship with LeBron, 
for a diehard Los Angeles Laker fan who grew up loving Kobe Bryant, that generation, who still thinks that Kobe is better than LeBron, would that push him to being better than Kobe? For my generation, again, who want to sit there and say that Jordan walked on water, he could cure AIDS, the coronavirus, and cancer if he wanted to. Um, he can make the gray skies blue. He can make it rain whenever he wants to. He can build a castle from a single grain of sand, and he can make a ship sail on dry land. For those who think that Jordan can do all those things, that he's Jesus Christ with dark skin, even though Jesus also had dark skin, bitches. But for, for, for those who think that, is there anything LeBron can do to get closer? Not even say that he's better, but have a real substantive argument for you to say who was better? Can, can Jordan ever do that? I guess for you fools, the answer is no. So that's the reason why you don't waste your time talking to dumb people who actually are stupid enough to believe that there's nothing that LeBron could ever do to come close to either Jordan or uh, Kobe Bryant. You're dealing with irrational fools who don't need to have the time or space to uh, waste your time with that conversation. So, look, LeBron has already said Steph has to, if Steph can win this, um, if Steph can win this um, championship, I mean, it's a situation now where, hey, man, do you vault him top 10? I mean, for Magic, do you put him in the next tier? Maybe not um, Maybe not Magic, Jordan, LeBron, Russell, Kareem, Chamberlain. Maybe not those guys, but do you put him in that next tier? With 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 Bird and Bob Pettit and, and 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 those guys, do you do you put him in that category, like the second tier? If uh, Steph, do you put him maybe getting closer to becoming the greatest backcourt player who ever lived? I know Jordan, I know Jordan, I know Jordan, but just in terms of shooting, just in terms of, do you put him now as the best quote unquote small man who's ever played in the NBA? I mean, do you put him above Isaiah Thomas? Do you put him above Allen Iverson? Do you put him above Tiny Archibald? Do you put him above Calvin Murphy? Do you put he's already above those guys? But do you put him like above, say, someone like an Isaiah Thomas, if Steph can do that? So that that, that those are just those are just situations. And how I got on this tangent is because this all goes back to Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic didn't win the MVP. Joel Embiid did. I think one of the reasons why Nikola Jokic didn't win the MVP was because you just can't put a guy who has won three straight MVPs, you, you can't put that on a guy who hasn't, who's never made it to the NBA Finals, who never, who's made it to what, maybe one Western Conference Final, and that was sort of kind of a fluke in the, in the, uh, in the bubble. So the accomplishments to have Nikola Jokic be on the same pedestal as a Wilt Chamberlain, as a Bill Russell, as a Larry Bird. He isn't there yet. So it's almost like a situation where he might not deserve it, even though he did deserve it. Joel had a great year. Giannis had a great year. I'm not saying that Jokic was cheated, but what I'm saying is, man, are you going to put on such a high pedestal a guy who has, again, never made it to the NBA Finals? And, and, And what would this mean... With Joe, with um, with the Joker having the best team that he's ever had, uh, with the best record in the uh, Western Conference, having home court advantage in a place that is truly has home court advantage because of the altitude that they play, 
if Nikola Jokic goes out in the semifinals, or even if Nikola Jokic doesn't make it out of the Western Conference, the way that the Western Conference has really been mediocre this season, what, what does that mean for his legacy? What does that mean for him being that franchise player, being that all-time great? You, you could say that possibly he's the most skilled big man that's ever played the game. If you take a look at everything that he does, and don't talk about Wilt. I know Wilt led the league in assists, and he could do whatever he could. Wilt couldn't get, Wilt couldn't catch a rebound or take a rebound off the defensive glass, take the ball up the court, and lead the break. Wilt could do a lot of things. Um, leading the fast break and being a point center, that ain't one of them from 18, 22 feet. Wilt wasn't going to be out there shooting foul line jumpers and three point shots or shooting from 24, 25 feet with the proficiency that the Joker has. So, yes, Nikola Jokic building his resume as the most skilled big man who's ever played the game. All due respect to Tim Duncan, even Tim Duncan couldn't do what Nikola Jokic did. Not saying that Nikola Jokic is better than Tim Duncan, but that skill set, um, especially from an offensive standpoint, we, we, we've never seen that before. In, in a big man in the NBA or a traditional center in the NBA. But if he does not win himself a championship this year, what does it mean for his legacy? So, man, there is a lot riding on Jokic in terms of what he's going to be doing uh, moving forward with this. For the Phoenix Suns, there's some trouble, man. And, and, and I'm, I'm <sighs> there's, there are three things in life that is just inevitable, right? Death taxes, Chris Paul getting injured in the playoffs. Again. Again. Sustain the injury to with G-Roin with about five minutes remaining in the third quarter while battling for a rebound with uh, KCP. He immediately clutch, clutched his groin after jumping and was slow to join his teammates in the front court and on the ensuing sun possession. And after that, uh, he went to the locker room not able to return. The Suns have no chance of winning the series if they don't get some type of scoring from someone other than Durant and Booker. They're not going to win. And I know that's kind of like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. But I'm just saying, though, I mean, it's like you, you, you got to do something with DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton can't get you, – you can't ask DeAndre Ayton to get eviscerated by um, Nikola Jokic and then give you 10 shots on the other end. You, you just can't. That can't happen. They need, they need something a little bit better – they need something a little bit better than that. They need more than 10 shots, especially if Chris Paul is not going to play. Because Devin Booker and KG, KD ran out of gas uh, yesterday. Um, Booker was tremendous, especially in that third quarter. But you, you can't ask him to do that in Denver for an entire game. And KD being off like he was, there was no, hey man, let me go ahead and take over a little bit till you get your groove going, until you get your rhythm going, then we'll get back to you. D- just having those guys take turns going one-on-one or isolation basketball, man, ain't going to get it done. And then when the other team uh, crowds and moves over, he throws it over to guys who aren't going to do anything with the basketball except shoot, except shoot bricks. Can't do that and win a basketball game. Again, no shit, Sherlock, but I'm just saying. I mean, look, in, in game two, Durant and Booker took 56 of the 95 shot attempts from Phoenix. They made 24 of the Suns' 38 field goals. What the fuck was that, man? KD went 10 for 27. Suns went 6 for 31 from the three-point line. And they were outshot from the free throw line 21 to 5. 21 to 5. Yes, I know that um, Booker... And Durant are pull-up jump shooting fiends. Understand that, get that. But man, you got Jasakogi, 
Torian Craig, Ish Wainwright, Damian Lee, Cameron Payne, who now, if Paul is not going to be 100%, if Paul is not going to be able to play, Cameron Payne is going to have to be that guy for for, for some portion of the game. You, you can't have Devin Booker play point guard for 48 minutes. So if Cameron Payne's going to be that guy, I mean, goodness gracious, those guys who I just mentioned, Akogi, Akogi, Craig, Wainwright, Lee, and Payne, they combined to shoot two for 17 from the field and 0-11 from the three-point line. What? What? Corner threes, brick. Straightaway threes, brick. Can't do it. They're, they're, they're going to need something. And I'm not talking about I need to see those guys score 20. But you gotta have, you've got to be proficient some other way. The only reason why I didn't include Bizbach Miyambo because Miyambo is not, is not asked to score points. He's there to uh, wear on the Joker and take fouls. That, that's his deal. But um, so, so him not scoring, no big deal. But you're going to need something from one of those guys who I just mentioned. Because, uh, again, no, no chance in hell if they're going to have a chance to win this uh, series. So, um, yeah, man, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens moving forward. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Moving forward, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about the Suns. I just don't know. Especially, I mean, let, let's even take into account if Chris Paul can play. I mean, how injured is that groin? How much is that going to limit his effectiveness? And again, who else from Phoenix is going to step up? And is DeAndre Ayton basically gone for the series? Because again, that was quite an embarrassment that Nikola Jokic put on him, especially in the second half. So, so what's going to be his mindset? Uh, moving back, so man, that's that's the second round, the semifinals in the NBA, man. It's it's, it's something else, man. It is def- it is definitely something else. Something else that I want to speak about. I know this might be past the expiration date, but don't worry about it. I still want to talk about it anyway because I, I really didn't have an opportunity to get into it. Um, I need to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, man. Uh, this this failure of a playoffs season. Um, there should be some repercussions. What are going to be the repercussions? What should be the repercussions? Yeah, let me go ahead, get a boogie break, and uh, discuss that next. Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I'm still perplexed, man. I still don't know what happened. I'm still shaking my head, I'm still scratching my head. And I really don't care about the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, my team, the Washington Wizards, who just fired uh, Tommy Shepard, thank goodness, I don't know what they're going to get 
that would take over that train wreck of mediocrity known as the Washington Wizards. But that's my team. That's the team that I care about. And I'm still sitting up here flabbergasted about exactly what happened to the um, Milwaukee Bucks and what the fallout is going to be. Um, you know, I, I wanted to address also the uh, Giannis statement talking about the season's not a failure of Michael Jordan. He won six championships. He uh, lost nine times. That means he didn't win nine championships. Was that considered a failure? Um, hey, look, man, number one, the, the, the guy, when he asked the question, or Giannis, after he was asked that question, you, you could just see the absolute pain on his face, the expression of, oh, my fucking goodness. I mean, it was almost like, damn, man, really, that uh, punch to the gut, you had to bring in the brass knuckles with it also. The one thing, and, you know, we, we can kind of break this down and we can kind of debate and we can go semantics about what's your definition of a failure and all this kind of stuff. The only thing that I really cared about if I were a Milwaukee Bucks fan was the reaction. Giannis is normally a guy who doesn't like overreact, who doesn't call out, who doesn't, it was not um, confrontational uh, with reporters. I um, mean, that's not his deal. Um, so to see Giannis engage like that um, showed me that, look, man, whether it was a failure or not, or whether he thinks it's a failure, or whether you think it's a failure, whatever, man. I, I, Giannis is invested. Giannis was hurting. So, so Giannis gave the correct answer. And, and look, was the regular season for the Milwaukee Bucks a failure? No. Was the playoff against the Milwaukee, against the Miami Heat, was that a failure? Yes. Did Michael Jordan fail nine times when he didn't win a championship? Yes, but was that considered a failure? No. And again, we're parsing words and we're going back and forth and we're twisting and turning and we can kind of use it as ever as much as we want to. That's the great thing about opinions. That's the great thing. That's the, that's the great thing about uh, thoughts and opinions. You know, you can have yours, I can have mine, and we can twist and turn them any way humanly possible by our beliefs and by our our, our thought system. In 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 all essence. Nothing is ever a failure. You know, if, if you want to break it down, if you really want to break it down and say, did the Milwaukee Bucks, did Giannis, would you consider this season a failure? Well, you could break it down to the fact that, let me see here, on the 1st and 15th of every month, I got paid. And I got paid a whole bunch of money. And I brought a, I brought joy to a whole lot of people. And I made my company a whole lot of money. And because of that, I'm living a very good life. I got my wife. I got my kids. I got my house. I got myself set up for life. So how can I consider anything that I'm doing in life in terms of my employment? Because that's what I am. I'm a basketball player, but that's my job. It's not who I am. As Bill Russell said, basketball is what I do. It's not who I am. So that's what I do for a living. You make your living as a reporter. I make my money, and I make my living as a basketball player. So there's certain bars, there's certain criteria that yes, that we all strive to be. Um, as Giannis mentioned, you know, if you don't win the highest prize in your profession, would you consider that a failure? Well, no, of course not. Your your job is to feed your family. Your job is to take care of your family. Your job is to uh, do something that you love to do. Do it to the best of your ability and let the chips fall where they may. Hopefully, there's other things in life that are going to determine what is a positive, what is a failure, what is an accomplishment, what is a winner, what all of those things besides how how great you were 
at your job. And, and, and I know in this society that we live in that a lot of times we like to kind of, we, we, we like to kind of determine how a person is based on how well they do their job. Whether that's a musician, maybe that's an actor, maybe that is a, um, an athlete. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard and read and saw uh, biographies about uh, actors and athletes and politicians and everything. And, and these people are fucking scumbags. These people are absolute positive scumbags. But you always have people vouching for them or making excuses for them because of who they were in their, in their employment. In terms of being an athlete, in terms of being an actor, in terms of being a musician. You know, so, so it's kind of like, yeah, you know, he beat up on women and he was a piece of shit, but man, could that guy play a guitar? I was like, what? Shouldn't, shouldn't that kind of oversee? Well, yeah, you know, that guy, man, that motherfucker sure could sing. Yeah, he cheated on his wife multiple times. Yeah, and he beat the shit out of his wife. And yeah, he wasn't that much of a father. But hey, you know, he was doing the best that he can. And he really was a sweet guy. You, you know, you call him at the right time. And I'm like, what the fuck? are you guys talking about miles davis i'll give you just a quick example miles davis one of the greatest musicians of the uh 20th century the guy was a piece of shit as a human being he didn't give a damn about anybody but himself he treated everybody like shit he treated cicely uh, tyson like shit the guy was a horrible human being but people i, I saw the documentary but people make make excuses for this guy because as a mu- musician he was a genius it's like well okay that's that's great and everything, but, I mean, we're going to equate that with the type of person that he was? We, we can't say, great musician, horrible human being, and then figure out which way you're going to go? I mean, we, we can't do that? George Washington, founder of our country, first president of our United States, was a racist bigot. Oh, but, you know, that's the sign of the times. What? 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 Huh? What? I mean, why can't I be a bigot and get away with that? Why can't I pe- treat people like shit and get away with that? So... All of this is to say that, uh, look, man, you know, we, we can parch and we can debate and we can define what it is to be a failure, a season not a failure. We, we can define all of that. But I think Giannis was taking a look at the bigger picture when he was asked that question. And if you really believe that, regardless of what, regardless of what you think, if Giannis is full of shit or he doesn't know any better or whatever, whatever your thoughts and opinions are about the guy, hey, look, man, does anybody play any harder than Giannis? Does anybody leave it out there more on the court than Giannis? So to me, that's the only thing that I need to see from Giannis, that he truly cares, that he was truly hurting, and despite the fact that, you know what, his, his game slipped and he didn't play well, despite the fact that numbers-wise he had awesome numbers he had great numbers this missing two and a half games uh because of an injury D- despite all of those things he-, he still played great and he still played awesome he, and he still had a- he had a bad series all-, all of that to say man you know you're gonna I-, I don't care what his definition of a failure or not a failure I don't-, I don't care if he didn't think it's a failure then it's not a failure I don't care that, that's his prerogative. If that's what gets him to be the player that he is, if that's the mentality that he needs to take, well, that, it doesn't make him a loser. It doesn't make him anything like that. Hey, man, my man, from where he came to what he is now, uh, how can anybody call Giannis Adenikupo a loser in anything? 
Now, I don't know the man personally. I don't know. Maybe he's a complete psycho and maniac uh, away from the camera. I don't know. But from what he's presented to from the media and what he pre- presents himself in front of the media and his story in terms of where he came from to where he is now, how in the hell can anybody call that man a loser? How fucking stupid must you be to call that guy a loser? How much of a loser must you be to really believe that Giannis Adenikupo somehow, someway is a loser or doesn't lack the killer instinct or anything like that? How can you say that? They say the same shit about Kevin Durant and others, right? Kevin Durant is soft. How in the fuck can you be Kevin Durant and have the accolades that he has and be soft? How fucking stupid must you be to think that any of these guys to where they are right now are, are soft or are losers or anything like that? How, 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 how dumb must you actually be to say that shit in person? To actually put your name and face in front of saying um, whether it be Giannis whether it be Drew Holiday, whether it be Chris Middleton, any of those guys. How, how can you call them losers <laughs> after everything that they've been through, after everything that they had to do to get to the point or call them failures? It's, it's, it's amazing to me. It's, it's absolutely amazing to me. Dylan Brooks, as much of an ass clown as he made himself out to be. I mean, the guy ain't a loser. You, you can't be starting in the NBA for an NBA team and average over double figures and be considered a, a loser. It's just, that's just asinine. That, that's just stupid. That's just ridiculous. So both, both of the jackasses who are saying that are the fucking idiots who are, who are sitting on, the, uh, tele, who are sitting on their uh, couches watching the game. They're the, uh, they're the white sock wearing 8 to 5 o'clock punching humanoids out there who are watching these guys perform and calling them losers. When God knows you wouldn't say that shit to their face. And God knows you wouldn't say it to Russell Westbrook's face. Because he'd probably shatter your jaw. And I'd be sitting there laughing and cheering him on. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So what does that mean now moving forward for the Milwaukee Bucks, man? Because do you run this show back? Do you bring Drew Holiday back? Do you bring Chris Middleton back? Um, do you bring Mike Bootenholzer back? What, what, what do you do? Because there's, there, there's something that has to be done. Changes have to be made. I mean, it's a situation where it had the window closed upon this group of uh, Milwaukee Bucks. When you're speaking about the core being Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Brooke Lopez. Now, Lopez is a free agent. If you sign Brooke Lopez and then Chris Middleton opts into his contract, because I doubt if he opts out, anybody's going to be giving him $40 million. A guy who's been injured, a guy who's 32 years old, and a guy is a is a somewhat somewhat sort of kind of all-star but no one's going to be paying him the type of money that he's getting from the Milwaukee Bucks if you do run this back if you do decide that we're going to keep this core where do you where do you improve because when you made the move for Drew Holiday you gave up a lot of draft capital and you haven't been developing any players that could come in and replace someone like a Grayson Allen or a West Matthews which is the reason why you've had West Matthews far beyond his expiration date and still playing him uh, Jay Crowder uh, the the guy who I don't know maybe you could have seen what he can do against Jimmy Butler as Jimmy Butler was torching Drew Holiday left and right maybe Jay Crowder could have came in there and done something I mean I don't know isn't that why you got him isn't that why you traded for him Joe Inglis 
Ingles has practiced prime. So with this Milwaukee Bucks group, I don't know exactly what you do. I have no idea because Boston still has Tatum and Brown. Um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know what you do with the well, Milwaukee Bucks. If if I'm if if the rumors are true or if the reports are true that the Houston Rockets are are abandoning the um, youth movement and they're looking to go after guys like um, Chris Middleton and um, James Harden and such, and they're offering you um, Jalen Green for or, or the centerpiece of a package that's going to include Jalen Green. Hell yeah, you trade Chris Middleton for Jalen Green. Hell yeah, you do that. If I'm the Milwaukee Bucks, I'd do that in a heartbeat. You know, you, you want to see Giannis get better. You want to keep seeing Giannis improve. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was because playing over the summer uh, in the FIBA championships for Greece. I don't know what it was. But, I mean, here here's a guy who completely abandoned his jump shot. I mean, this was a guy who, hey man, outside of five feet was garbage. Um, you know, we're, we're not ever asking... Giannis to become a three-point shooter but man he's got to be more proficient and efficient from 10 to 15 feet and this season he wasn't particularly in the playoffs where I think outside of five feet he shot somewhere around 20 something percent uh 20 something percent not going to get it done and when you shoot 10 or 23 from the free throw line um it's not going to get it done so it plays with the psyche. So, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a situation where Giannis uh, going back to Greece, resting up a little bit and then working on his game is going to be the uh, elixir to, uh, to cure the ills of his outside game. But um, something needs to be done. As great as Giannis was, it wasn't just Bootenholzer and Drew Holiday uh, for, to be blamed for that loss along with um, others on the team. And for Bootenholzer, hey, look, man, I think probably this is the time where I'm wondering how many people within the organization really was was hoping that Bootenholzer would have gotten fired the year that they won the championship because the, the rumor and innuendo out there was unless the Milwaukee Bucks win a championship or make a strong one run for a championship, Mike Bootenholder is probably going to be fired. This is the year a couple of years ago, 2021, where they won that championship. So I think it was a situation where, okay, they won the championship. Giannis goes ridiculous. Giannis goes crazy. You, you can't fire Bootenholzer after you win a championship, right? So he gets an extension. How many people now who wanted Bootenholzer to be fired within that organization are circling the wagons to say, if you can't fire him now, I don't know when you fire him. After a situation where in game four, you lost a 14 point lead in the fourth quarter where they're outscored 30 to 13 down the stretch and then in game 5 at home you blow a 16 point lead you get outscored by 16 points 32 to 16 in the fourth quarter at home in a game where you need to win to keep your season alive and then the end of the game to keep your season alive you can't even get off a shot you have Grayson Allen on the right side drive putting up a shot not Holiday not Middleton not Giannis the three big um high paid athletes that we have on our court you put it in the hands or it comes down to Grayson Allen I mean some of the coaching is set for a fireable offense if you're um, Milwaukee in some corners within that organization now with the new ownership group coming in how much loyalty do they have to a Mike Bootenholzer how much loyalty do they have to a Chris Middleton and how much loyalty and how deep are the pocketbooks that they have to want to 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 run this back, because if you 
if you um, keep Middleton at $40 million, you resign Brooke Lopez, which is going to be a nice amount of change. You're already paying Giannis, his Supermax is coming, and you're paying Drew Holiday a bunch of money. And this is going to be the result of losing the first round to a team in Miami who had to fight and scratch and claw just to get into the uh, playoffs by beating Chicago. I mean, it's 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 something where it's kind of like, I don't know. If you're Mike Bootenholzer, I don't know. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, I don't know. It's going to come down to finances. And it's going to come down to loyalty. And it's going to come down to possibly what Giannis is going to say. I mean, is Giannis going to fight for Mike Bootenholzer? But should, should, should Giannis fight for a Bootenholzer or a Chris Middleton? Should he even have that responsibility? So offseason is just going to be an interesting one for Milwaukee. They're the only ones. Look, man, Atlanta, we knew what's going to happen. Sacramento, way, way too young. To uh to do anything, um you have um you know the others in the first round Memphis we already talked about their immaturity something needs to change with them they they could use some infusion of some leadership in some uh, some adults on the basketball court um so we already spoke about Memphis uh Minnesota that was a complete disaster this year with Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert on the court I don't know how that team is going to be um it's going to move forward. Uh, and be successful with those two guys, especially everything that Minnesota had to do to uh, get Gobert, the the uh, draft picks and everything. So that team moving forward, I have no doubt. I have no idea what's going to be happening in terms of the L.A. Clippers. I mean, I guess we run it back with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but again, here's Kawhi missing the rest of the series after game uh, what was it, game two. So. Again, I mean, another disappointment for the Clippers. And I know that they're building a new arena and all this type of stuff. But, I mean, you know, you're not going to trade Kawhi, I guess. You're not going to trade Paul George, I guess. You're going to be moving forward. You just hope that, you know, you just hope that, uh, I don't know, those guys can stay uh, healthy, especially with Kawhi. But how, how... um, you know, how confident are you are with that? So a lot of teams that lost in the first round were, okay, we understand why you lost in the first round. Brooklyn losing in the first round. We understand. We get it. Uh, you know, but, but Milwaukee losing to Miami was definitely a head, head, head scratcher and something that I had to discuss. All right, man, the NFL draft is uh, coming up. The winners, the losers, who did this, who did that? Wendell's World in Sports. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm going to keep this brief. I'm going to keep this short. I'm going to go into what is happening with the um, NFL draft. The whole boy, the draft is over, which means the NFL season, for the most part, is over. I guess that you could describe the draft to the regular NFL fans you know, basically, a.k.a. what surprises happened with the top QBs. Remember when we were speaking about the NFL being the best reality show out there? 
reality television show. And basically what drives the ratings, what's going to drive the interest is exactly where the quarterback's going to be drafted and which quarterback is going to slide and which uh, quarterback is going to be the focus of the attention when he's not getting drafted and they're going to be, and instead of going on and on and on about an offensive lineman or a defensive tackle or a safety that's going to be picked because Really, no one knows who those guys are that we're mainly, mainly going to be, be paying attention to the quarterback that hasn't been drafted yet. Which one of those is it going to be? Now, I suggested it would be Will Levis. Bingo! I was right on the money. Most sports fans and NFL fans probably lost a lot of interest when Houston drafted C.J. Stroud with the number two pick after Carolina drafted Bryce Young at number one. So it was like, okay, so there's going to be no trades. There's going to be no ooh-ahs. There's going to be, you know, what does that mean? So once Carolina drafted Bryce Young, then Houston traded, uh, uh, traded, uh, uh, drafted C.J. Stroud, then traded with Arizona, and then selected Will Anderson. And then after that, Anthony Richardson went to Indianapolis at number four. Most of the intrigue and the interest was gone. At least in my place. I turned over, started watching some NBA basketball, and um, and then that was it. Uh, really, you know, the, the, the other picks after that, were you speaking about Seattle drafting Devon Witherspoon, cornerback out of Illinois, Arizona drafting Paris Johnson Jr., offensive tackle from Ohio State, Vegas drafting Tyree Wilson, defensive end from Texas Tech, Atlanta drafting Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texas, and then Philadelphia drafting Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. Um, outside of Bijan Robinson and Jalen Carter, I really didn't have any idea who the rest of those guys were. And because they were offensive tackles and defensive ends, really didn't care. And cornerbacks really didn't care. Other, other notable draft picks, Detroit moving up to draft Jameer Gibbs with the number 12 pick. Uh, Jackson Smith, Ninjimba being drafted by Seattle with the number 20 pick. Other notable news from the draft, uh, Philadelphia basically drafting every player that ever played for the University of Georgia this year. Will Levis falling in the second round to uh, Tennessee. Hendon Hooker being drafted by Detroit near the end of the second round. And Stetson Bennett being drafted by the L.A. Rams in the fourth round. And boy, were those guys going on and on and on about Stetson Bennett, man. Man, you, you, you would have sworn that this guy really has a chance to do some things uh, in the NFL, which he doesn't. So it was interesting. So that all leads us to, look, and I didn't watch hardly any of the NFL draft because I'm going to tell you why. Because we, we always go with, hey, NFL draft is over, of course. Who are the winners and the losers? <laughs> after, after, as soon as the draft is over, who are the winners and who are the losers? How in the flip from Nell Kuyper and Todd McShay all the way down to me know that answer? Who knows, man? You know, this is what we know from the NFL draft. This is what we can ascertain from NFL drafts. That in most situations, especially going four, five, six, eight, ten years down the road, uh, going back into history, th- this is what we've learned. That somehow, some way, that multiple teams that drafted in the top ten the player that they selected will either underwhelm, disappoint, or no longer be with the team that drafted them after five years. We, we, we know this. So whether it be Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Anderson, Witherspoon, Paris Johnson Jr., Tyree Wilson, B. John Robinson, Jalen Carter, Darnell Wright, 
expect at least four or five of those players to be playing somewhere else or be major disappointments. So every time, especially when you speak about the first round, every time these guys get drafted and these guys, the the experts and everything, they speak in these glowing terms about he can do this, he's going to do that, he's with the right team, he's got a chance, this, that, and the other, know that half the time these guys are going to be wrong. That somewhere down the road, and sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out which ones it's going to be, but one of the, some of these guys are not going to make it. Some of these guys are going to be busts. Some of these guys are going to be underwhelming, and multiple guys are going to be playing for other teams once their rookie years, once their rookie contracts are over. So almost half of the players are going to be on other teams by the time the 28, 20, the 2028 20, season starts. So take, for instance, you take a look at the 2018 draft, right? That's what, five, six years uh, ago? 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, so you take a look, five years, the 2018 draft, right? Um, who were the top picks? Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, Sam Donald, Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, Josh Allen, Roquan Smith, Mike McGlinchey, and Josh Rosen, right? Mayfield was trapped at number one with the uh, with the number one pick by Cleveland. How's he doing this year for Cleveland? Oh, that's right. He's no longer the quarterback there. Sam Darnold was drafted number three by the New York Jets. How was he working out? Oops, my bad. Um, Josh Rosen was drafted number 10 by the Arizona Cardinals. That didn't even work out for a year before he was gone. Mike McGlinchey who was picked number nine by the San Francisco 49ers, he now signed a contract with the um, Seattle Seahawks. You take a look at the seven to 2017 draft. Okay, Miles Garrett still with Cleveland. Mitchell Trubisky was the number two pick by Chicago. How's that franchise quarterback number two guy uh, holding up? Uh, Solomon Thomas was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers. He's no longer on their team. The Jacksonville Jaguars selected the franchise running back in Leonard Fournette, who's no longer on their team. The Tennessee Titans selected a franchise wide receiver in Corey Davis, who's no longer on that team. The New York Jets selected a franchise safety in Jamal Adams, who's no longer on that team. The Carolina Panthers drafted the best all-purpose running back in the draft to be their bell cow in Christian McCaffrey. He's no longer on the team. The Cincinnati Bengals drafted the wide receiver named John Ross. He's no longer on the he's no longer in the league. And then the Kansas City football team drafted Patrick Mahomes. That turned out pretty well. But so basically what I'm saying is that, hey man, there's gonna be situations where we can take a look right now and there are gonna be some players drafted that we think they're going to be like, oh, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, that are not going to be on their teams. And we always fall for this. We always fall for the, well, this team needed a quarterback, so they drafted the best quarterback available, so that makes them, that, that gives them a winning grade, or that gives them an A+, plus because they needed a quarterback and a wide receiver, so they got themselves both with their first-round picks, or... Um, they traded up to select a defensive end in the second round who was really a first-round grade. Or this this area of need that this team had, they drafted, they drafted this player in the first round. So obviously, if he's drafted in the first round, that means that the problem or that weak spot in the team is no longer going to be there. Now, sometimes that is the case. Cincinnati needed the quarterback. They drafted Joe Burrow. Worked out pretty well. So in, in some instances, those are the cases. But in a lot of instances, it's like, okay, just because you drafted an area of need 
And just because this guy is a first-round pick doesn't automatically mean that this is going to work out for you. I mean, hell, how long have the New York Jets been drafting first-round quarterbacks? Mark Sanchez was supposed to be the guy when they drafted him number five. Sam Darnold was supposed to be the guy when they drafted him number three. Zach Wilson was supposed to be the guy when they drafted him number two. Right? Every time they got drafted, oh, there you go. Okay, now, all right. Well, we, we got that taken care of. The Jets now have the opportunity to get that franchise quarterback because they got Sanchez, because they got Wilson, because they got Darnold. How did that work out for them? Man, we, we, we don't know how this is going to turn out. Hey, they got that wide receiver that's going to, oh, three years later, he's no longer with the team. Hey, they got that defensive end. Oh, because of injury for the first three years, we, he really hasn't done anything. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into, you know, whether a team wins or loses the, <laughs> wins or loses the, um, wins or loses the uh, draft. You got to take some time, man. And, and, and I know in the, instant gratification world that we live in that we don't know we don't want to wait uh three years to find out if Bryce Young is really the deal or CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson or or anything like that we we don't want to wait that long we want to know now 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 so it's mm. I I love watching the draft uh day two and three right and they still have some folks there and their main goal is just to uh, get on get on television because when you have whether a Make-A-Wish kid come up there or some other sap come up there and make uh, an announcement or they go to Mexico City or they go to Antarctica or they go to Greenland or they go to Australia or they go to Brazil or wherever they go. Where, oh, hello from the great country of Germany, home of the favorite Dallas Cowboys the fan club. With the 214th pick, the Dallas Cowboys selected me and all that kind of bullshit, right? So I, I love when they go ahead and they do that. And they make the pick. And they show a shot to the crowd. And somebody with a jersey or uh, the getup or something like that, they start cheering. All right, so with the 175th pick, the Seattle Seahawks select... From Grand Valley State, offensive tackle, Bill Jackson. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! Like, you motherfuckers don't know shit. <laughs> like, offensive tackle, woohoo! Yeah, all right, yeah! It's like, all right, fellas, calm down. You guys don't know shit about these guys. But, hey, you know, you painted your face and, you know, you look like a, you're a grown man with face paint um, and, and a costume wearing a jersey. So... Hey, man, more power to you. So it, it always cracks me up when I see that. So, all right, I'm done. I'm out of here. The Lakers are Lakers are doing some work, man. They are up by 11 with nine minutes to go, with five minutes to go. Game one. How about that, man? Let's see what Golden State can do and what are going to be the ramifications of this. So I'll be interested to see. I'm watching the replay tomorrow or some other these days before game two. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Curry hasn't gone off for 50 yet. But game one. It'll be interesting moving forward. All right. I want to thank you all for listening to the podcast as always, man. Please, please, please. If I were James Brown, please, please um, do what you can to make this world a better place. If you could listening, learning, shutting up, doing all those type of things. I'm going to shut up right now because I want to get back to this Laker game. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. Get me out of here with some music. Thank you.